0: Welcome to The Plan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Josh Codes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy IRL. Before we get into tonight's topic, a quick shameless plug. Follow us on all our socials, at ProLife Advocacy Network on TikTok and Instagram, and at ProLife Team on X. Shoot us a DM if you have questions or show ideas or if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. Also, join us on Rumble and subscribe on YouTube at ProLife Advocacy Network, where all of our episodes will be posted. And with that, let's get into it. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Plan Podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh Codes. You can follow me on all socials at joshcodesirl or visit www.joshcodesirl.com.
1: And I am Andy IRL, co-founder of Plan, co-host of the Plan podcast. Find me on social media at Andy IRL official or Andy IRL.com.
0: Also joining us tonight is a returning guest, Ev.
1: Hello, I'm
2: Evelyn or Ev. I go by Leftist Dropout on pretty much all social media, uh, TikTok, Instagram, and X. You can find me there for some pro-life content.
0: Welcome back to the show, Evelyn. So, tonight we are introducing the first episode in our series of breaking down pro choice stances. And we're going to begin this series with the oh so common bodily autonomy stance. So, to kick us off and jump right in, Ev, what is the bodily autonomy stance and how is it used to justify the killing of, of uh, babies?
2: <laughs> well, the bodily autonomy stance can come in a couple different shapes and sizes. Um, most commonly, it's used um, to justify abortion by saying that the woman has the right to her body, which means that she has the right to exclude um, any part of her body from other people. So normally they will grant the fetus personhood. They'll say, sure, it's a human, it's alive, it's a person, it has rights, whatever, but it still does not have the right to, um, what they would say is like steal resources from the woman or from her body. Um, The other way that's a little bit less common, but still happens is people believe that the child is literally like a part of the mother, like her fingers, toes, and arms or whatever, Um, that's pretty crazy. And normally you can kind of talk them off of that ledge pretty easily, but it still does happen. So those are the two main ways that bodily autonomy is used.
1: Yeah, like you said, there's a couple of different ways that people argue this. Um, Some of them are a little more absurd than others, as you pointed out. So why don't we just kind of take them one at a time here and kind of talk through what a uh, pro choicer would typically argue, and then we can kind of critique that position and just show why we don't agree with it, why it's absurd if we think that it is, um, which most of us are going to agree. As you pointed out, thinking that the child is literally part of the mother's body is just uh, a, an absurd thing to think. Um, but let's kind of just take these one at a time and talk through them. So let's start with that one since it's probably going to be the easiest to debunk right off the bat. If a pro sure. says, this child growing inside of me, this fetus, this clump of cells, whatever they want to refer to it as is literally a part of the mother's body. What are some easy critiques to that stance?
2: Um, I think one of my favorite ones to use is one that, um, a lot of like pro-life people that are like in the media and stuff use, um, is basically just asking like, does a pregnant woman have like 20 fingers and 20 toes? Um, does if she's pregnant with a boy, does she have a penis like um, can can this is one you use Andy a lot is can um, one person have two different blood types because um, a lot of times the fetus will have a different blood type than mom. So these are just a few of the quick questions that I like to ask them just to get their brains working themselves and trying to justify like what their own stance is and normally they can kind of rationalize themselves out of that crazy stance but those are the couple that I go for uh, first.
1: Yeah, when we start talking about the different body parts themselves and we say, wait, does the woman actually have 20 fingers, 20 toes? Does a woman have a penis when she's pregnant with a boy? When we start talking about these things and then they obviously, you know, they know that when she gives birth to this child, she no longer has those fingers and toes and any other body parts attached to her. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we're going to say, well, for some time she does have 20 fingers and then she doesn't anymore after she gives birth. Like it's obviously part of a separate entity, whether it's attached to her or not. But there's, like you said, are a few easy ways to kind of point out that it is a separate entity. Um, we can yeah, get into things be... that are a little more nuanced, like you said, the blood type, the DNA, and things like that. Um, but even just mentioning the body parts right off the bat is uh, a pretty easy way to distinguish that this is a separate being inside of her.
2: Yeah, I think um, another thing. I think I've only had to use this maybe once or twice, but um, just arguing that if if what they're saying is true, then like birth would just be like basically an amputation like they would just be amputating like a part of themselves um and again it would have you know same dna same blood type it would be like someone would look at that baby and and, you know scientifically test their blood or whatever and be like oh this is actually the mother this is not a different person this is the mother so then we would all be our mothers like when do you stop being a body part of your mother like it's just weird and it obviously goes against all biology and science like we know that that's not how it works but it's just asking these kind of these questions that kind of sound absurd um will make these people who have this position probably think that their position is absurd and maybe find a new one.
1: Right and I've even heard a lot of pro-choicers who talk about the bodily autonomy argument especially in this context saying oh well you know, we ask when does it not when is it no longer a part of the mother's body? And they'll start saying like, well, we should cut abortion off after the point of viability uh, because you know then it could survive on its own outside of her body. And the question then is, well, yeah, sure it could, but why would we care if it's still a literal part of her body? Nothing changes in that respect when it reaches the point of viability. Uh, It's still attached to her. So why is it now not a part of her body? Why can she now no longer kill it? Um, If that's what she chooses to do.
2: Yeah, I think that specifically is a misunderstanding of of viability. I think that they don't, a lot of people think that viability is something that happens within the fetus. They think that like the fetus like changes and now it's viable or something. Um, Viability is literally just like based on our medical technology and how how small a human can be for us to keep it alive outside of the womb. It has everything to do with scientific advances, but people tend to think that it is literally like the fetus like changes into something that now can survive but that's just not true
1: right and on the opposite side of that um you know if it's a literal part of her body then even after it's outside of her body and the cord is still attached they should be fine with the mother ending the life at that point as well because they would still argue that it's still a literal part of her body because it's still attached to her It shouldn't really matter where it is, whether it's inside or outside of her body, if it's a part of her body. You know, your finger is not inside your body, and they would argue that you have the right to cut it off if you want to.
2: Yeah, and that would be the other thing, too, is like if it is a literal part of the woman's body, then let's just say like someone has to get their hand amputated for whatever reason. I think a lot of people would say that if you have to get a a part of your body like cut off. That you probably would still have some type of rights to the thing that you cut off. Like you could probably take your hand and put it in a jar, and you know do whatever yeah, you want. No part, part of your body, even
1: even if it's not attached to you, it would still be a part of your yeah. body.
2: Yeah, and that would kind of justify some very strange things that then women or parents in general would, I guess, be able to do to their born children because they don't just stop being a part of your body. Like like my hand would still be a part of my body. It's just not attached to me anymore. So maybe yeah, that would be a, a weird place to go, but, um, <laughs>
1: but it would kind of follow. Right, yeah, the logic. I, I, so we, we hear them argue this a couple of different ways. Like, you know, the literal attachment is what makes it a part of her body. Simply being inside of her means it's a part of her body. And there's a whole bunch of different crazy things that we can bring up of different things that we could put inside of our body. Uh, doesn't mean that they're an actual part of our body just because they're inside of us. They might be parts of other people's bodies. Um, <laughs> but just because they're inside of us doesn't mean they're now part of our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like you pointed out, this is probably the easiest one to just kind of debunk right off the bat. Most of us should be able to agree by pointing these simple things out that it's not a literal part of the mother's body. Um, before we move on to the, the next argument that people typically make, we can also bring up things like, uh, different parasites that might be inside of our bodies, like a tapeworm, for example, when a tapeworm attaches themselves to us, is that now a part of our body? Or is that a different entity that's inside of us? You know, a parasite is a separate entity. It's not part of our body.
2: Um, Yeah,
1: just kind of goes along the same lines of pointing out that inside your body attached to you has nothing to do with whether or not it is a part of your body. But yeah, if we want to move on falls apart quick. E- exactly exactly but if we want to move on to a slightly less absurd argument and just are <laughs> slightly <laughs> slightly less not totally but a little less absurd um, argument that pro-choicers also make is just that yeah sure it's a different uh, person or a different entity But the mother reserves the right to remove the fetus, blastocyst, zygote, whatever stage, embryo, whatever it's at. The mother reserves the right to remove it from her body uh, because she's not obligated to give it any resources.
2: Yeah, this one is um, one that people can take varying levels of, I don't want to say harshness, but like they can take this stance really hardcore or not so hardcore. Um, I would say the most hardcore ones are going to be like the libertarian evictionists. Um, And when we talk to people like this, normally the way that I go about it is I try to always bring it outside of the womb. Because normally I'm not having to fight with them and talk about if the fetus is a person, if the fetus has rights, what rights are, blah, blah, blah. We're normally just having to talk about like property rights because they view um, our bodies as our property. So they would equate your body to your house, your car, your boat, your food, whatever. Like they think it's kind of on the same philosophical playing field as those things. So a lot of times I bring it outside of the womb and I talk about um, other quote unquote like property violations. Um, So, you know, you can bring up analogies such as you have a boat. It's your boat. You own this boat. And through whatever magical means a child appears on this boat, um, it's maybe not your child. You have no idea who this child is. but the point is is that this child is going to have to live on your boat for, let's say, I don't know, 24 hours until you can safely take it to shore where you can transfer it to somebody else. Um, in this case, I would just ask them if they think that it's morally permissible or should be legal to throw this child overboard, where you know, for a fact, I mean, kids can't really swim that well. You know for a fact that this child is going to die, um, and I would just ask them to see if they're going to stay consistent. Um, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but I think that's one good analogy. It's probably my favorite analogy to use. Um, because the boat would be like the mother and the food on the boat and the blankets on the boat would be like her resources. Um, The child would obviously be the fetus um, and it's it's pretty analogous. So um, that just kind of gauges, first of all, whether you're talking to a good faith person who's going to answer this honestly, and then also gauges the moral compass
1: of your opponent.
2: And it can kind of guide how you uh, further the conversation after that. But Andy, do you have other uh, things that you like to bring up?
1: Yeah. So there's a bunch of different analogies that we can kind of go through and maybe we can touch on a couple of them. The first thing that I like to talk to, or I like to bring up with someone when they mention bodily autonomy um, is just ask them if they think that bodily autonomy is absolute. Do you always have the right to do what you want with your body? Are there any limitations to this? Um, And some people will acknowledge right off the bat that, yeah, there are limitations to this. Um, Some people will say there's not a limitation to this and you always have the right to do whatever you want with your body. And there's a lot of different things that we can bring up. Um, You know, we can, uh, one thing that I often say is, okay, well, you know, if I have absolute right to bodily autonomy, then, you know, I can swing my arms in front of me as much as I want. But if Josh or if Evelyn is standing in front of me and now I'm swinging my arms and it's causing me to start hitting the person standing in front of me. Do I still have the right to swing my arms as much as I want, even though now it's you know infringing on their right to not be punched, and the person's going to typically argue, well, no, because you know they have the right to bodily autonomy as well, they have the right to not be hit um and you know I would agree with that, and I would point that out, and I would just say yes and and that's indicating that while I have the right to do what I want with my body, there are limitations on this. And I would say the limitation is when what I want to do with my body starts to infringe on the rights of another individual. So if I want to swing my arms in front of my body, I can do it all I want. But if I start hitting somebody that's now standing in front of me, now I'm infringing on their right to not be hit. And I can't swing my arms, even if I want to.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very good place to start. Um... With people who use bodily autonomy in like I don't even know what word to use, like the less hardcore way for sure, because um, a lot of people use bodily autonomy without really thinking about it necessarily. It's kind of just something that they hear from Instagram stories, from posts, from TikTok. You know, they just hear this thing blasted around of women deserve bodily autonomy, women have bodily autonomy, blah blah blah, and they think that it that it basically just means yeah, you can do whatever you want with your body. Um, so I think Andy, yeah, that's a good way to really like gauge if they truly believe that if they've ever actually thought about it and how far they think it extends um because if they think that you have the right to punch other people then we've got a whole other problem to talk about
1: right right well and i think as with any of these stances i think the biggest issue here a lot of times is that people haven't really thought too much about the argument itself um you know like you said they make the statement women have the right to bodily autonomy. Well, sure, everybody does. We don't disagree with that. We would just argue that the right to bodily autonomy is not absolute. There are limitations. We would argue that caring for your child is one of those limitations that you must do, whether you want to or not. Um, You must care for your child in some way, even if that just means getting that child to somebody else. Even if you don't want to do this, you have to do this. Uh, You must use your body, your resources in order to do this. And it just kind of yeah, indicates yeah. that bodily autonomy is not absolute. And we kind of use some of these other talking points um, and analogies to get them to understand that they agree bodily autonomy is not absolute. And if they agree, well, now let's talk about where the limitations are.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think people, like, in society, we have so many limitations on bodily autonomy. I mean, you can talk about anything from, like, Drugs to simply having to get a driver's license in order to use Like property that you've purchased like a car like there are so many things that people would agree are Good limitations like drug driving was another good like there are things that you can't do with your body because they could harm other people um, and Specifically like taking care of your children. We have so many laws about what you can and cannot do concerning your children and I think that the most basic law would be that you have to care for them, that you can't neglect them, you can't abuse them, um, you certainly cannot intentionally end their life. So I think that this is something that we all broadly agree on. It's just, they haven't really thought about why they think that this obligation, I suppose, begins at birth and not, you know, before
1: birth. I think it's funny when somebody argues, we can't tell people what they can and can't do with their body. It's like, yeah, we can. Like it's clear that we can tell people what they can and can't do. But the question then is, Should we tell them what they can and can't do? Where should we limit what we should tell them what they can and can't do? It's obvious that we can tell people what they can and can't do.
2: Yeah. Or like when they, they scream about like, show me the law on man's bodies. And I'm like, there are so many, first of all, the draft, second of all, um, SA laws. I mean, that's for women and men, but it mostly affects men. Like you can't, you can't use your body to harm another woman um there like there's so many laws that affect men they just assume that there's no laws that affect men in the same way because they don't view abortion as like a human rights violation they don't view it as something that's wrong so they think like i don't know they always bring up like we should force men to get vasectomies or whatever like that and because they don't view it
1: <laughs> right as
2: like a human rights violation and they think that we're just trying so hard to restrict bodily autonomy and it's like you said. Like we believe in bodily autonomy. We just have different restrictions than you do, I guess. But most of the time, uh, they should they they should share our restrictions because they're logical. But that's, a, that's
1: I think it's so point. funny when somebody brings up the we should force men to get vasectomies if we're going to make abortion illegal or if you think abortion is bad we should force men to get vasectomies as if that's the same thing as saying you can't have an abortion. Um, Testicles yeah.
0: matter too, man. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> but it's like. I sort of understand the sentiment. You're saying, okay, well, we're telling women that they can and can't do this thing. So we're going to tell men that they can and can't do this other thing. And it's like, uh, okay, but what's the reason behind it? Um, Nobody dies just because I don't have a vasectomy. Nobody lives just because I do have a vasectomy. That, like, getting a vasectomy doesn't change whether somebody lives or dies. There are other things at play that have to come into play or there are other factors that have to come into play after uh, I do or don't have a vasectomy in order to keep someone from living or dying. The vasectomy itself is not the thing that the determining factor.
2: Yeah. Um, I think it's, again, it shows this like fundamental misunderstanding of what pro-lifers believe because we have been so demonized in the media and in culture that nobody actually understands what we believe. And I've heard this so many times debating in real life and on the internet is that I hate myself. I just want to control women's bodies. I blah, blah, blah. Like we should give men vasectomies. And it's like, I think the vasectomy thing is the biggest indicator of this because like you said, nobody dies if you do or don't get a vasectomy, but it shows again that they truly don't think that we care about the is dying. They think that we have like these evil ulterior motives that are just like, oh, we just want to control women. And that's why I've I've started saying, which I think is true, is you know how right wingers are are classed as being conspiracy theorists. I think a lot of leftists are too, because they literally make up, I mean, this, you know, a lot of times on TikTok I'll hear this sentiment that um they only want to make abortion illegal because the old white men want more workers for capitalism. Like that is the most like insane conspiracy theory with no evidence to back it up at all. But they continue to spout these things because they don't understand us. And so the easiest thing for their brain to do is to demonize us. It's something that I also hear that they think that we want to force people to procreate, like that we want to force more humans into the world. We want to force people to get pregnant. I think that's where the vasectomy thing comes in too. Um, they, They think that we want to force people to create humans. And that's like another just misunderstanding. I don't care if you create humans or not. I'm just worried about once you have created the humans about if you're allowed to kill them or not. Um, right. And so like when you, before you say, if you don't like abortions, just get a vasectomy. You should think about like, think about it like what a vasectomy is actually equal to, which is like a tubal ligation. Like if pro-lifers were like, oh, like women should not be able to get their tubes tied or women should be forced to get their tubes tied. Like that would be something that would be actually... Concerning a woman 's bodily autonomy because that is actually her body, and it 's not affecting anyone else. I think women should be able to get tubal ligations whatever they want to. Um, we are only concerned about the human that you 've created, and we 're only concerned right. about if you can kill them or not
1: yeah, and that would be comparable to the vasectomy, whether it 's forced yeah. or not forced. Um, the tubal ligation and vasectomy would kind of you know be along the same lines. but abortion and a vasectomy are clearly not um, yeah. And when they talk about, you know, oh, well, we're we're making laws on women's bodies, but we're not making laws on men's body. And none of us would say that a man can kill his child either. We're just saying yeah. that a woman can't kill their child. Yeah, Whether like we can't a man or a woman, you can't kill your child.
2: <laughs> and like, I think they think that it's like a war on women just because women happen to be the ones who get pregnant. Like, I'm sorry that that's how... Humans work, and I guess most mammals work, or all mammals, I don't know. Um, but, like, that's how that's how we work. That's how we procreate. The female is the one that carries the children. Um, that's just how it happens. I can't control that. If men were the ones who got pregnant, I would be saying the same thing. Like, I, I don't care who is getting pregnant. <laughs> I just don't want you to be able to kill your child. I, it's not a war on women. Women just – I'm sorry, biology sucks, man. But that's how it is. So I don't think that men can kill – Their children, whether it's, I don't think men can like force women into abortions. I don't think men can slip the abortion pill to their wives or girlfriends. I don't think men can coerce their women into getting abortions. I don't think that men can neglect or starve their children. I don't think that men can skip out on child support and, you know, just completely run away from and, and abandon their children. I don't think that any of these things are okay. The difference is that we already have laws against those things. We have laws against men neglecting and murdering their children. We have laws, even in a few places, about men like coercing coercing women or about them um like intentionally killing their woman's fetus or their fetus or however you would say that we don't have laws against abortion in most places we have some laws restricting them but we don't have laws banning
1: abortion so if we go back for a minute to talking about whether or not uh parents in general or a woman has an obligation to provide resources to their child i think that's a an important question that we want to push a little more on, um, because if somebody says no, one of the the easiest ways to talk about this and kind of show them that even they don't believe what they're saying uh, is bringing up the cryptic pregnancy. And a lot of people aren't that familiar with it. Some people don't even know what it is. Um, but even those that do, they're not that familiar with it. They don't understand it. They don't realize how often it actually happens. Um, but a cryptic pregnancy is just a pregnancy in which the mother doesn't know that she's pregnant until much later in the pregnancy, um, whether it's, you know, into the third trimester or a lot of times they don't even know that they're pregnant until they're actually giving birth. Um, it's one in 2,500 women that give birth don't know that they're pregnant until they're actually pushing the baby out of them, which is kind of insane if you ask me. Um, It's a statistic that you wouldn't think is that common. Um, and I guess one in 2,500 isn't, um, it's not a common occurrence, but it's much more common than you would think. So if we look at the yeah. amount of live births that happen across the world, we're talking about 56,000 babies where the mother doesn't know that they were pregnant until it's coming out of her, uh, which is yeah, kind of insane. That's-
2: <laughs> Just having bed pregnant. I don't know how that works, but... I mean, right. I believe it. There there are like verified stories of this from like doctors and hospitals where it's like this woman was even like stick thin like she wasn't even showing at all and she like literally just pops out a baby. It happens way more often than you would think. There's a whole wasn't TV there a show, whole show about on this. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. It's called I didn't know I was pregnant. I think it's on what was it on? A&E or something. I don't
1: know. I don't know. Something like that. But but yeah, in the cases of cryptic pregnancy, if if a pro-choicer truly believes the mother has no obligation to their child, they don't have to provide resources to their child, um, if she has a cryptic pregnancy and she gives birth to this child at home and it's now laying on the kitchen floor, they would have to argue that she should be able to just walk away from it, let it lay there on the kitchen floor and allow it to die while she goes back to watching TV, making a sandwich because that's typically what party. you know women are doing um <laughs> watching TV you know whatever she was doing before or whatever she wants to do they would have to argue that she should be allowed to do that while that newborn child dies on the kitchen floor because they're saying that she has no obligation to that child
2: yeah and this would be like to be clear this would be if someone denies um or if someone thinks that like this obligation comes from the simple like choice to like not get an abortion, whatever, like people will be like, "Oh, well, you have an obligation to your child that you birthed because you chose to go through the pregnancy like you you already like i don't know like consented to this obligation, um so this is a really good one to bring up when they when they use that as the argument for why they have an obligation um because in this case, they didn't consent to the obligation, but I think that intuitively we would all say that probably probably can't go to a block party and leave your newborn on the floor."
1: Yeah, I think even most of them would agree that you have to, at the very least, make a phone call or drop it off at a fire station, because that's usually the argument, the pushback that we get is, you don't have to take care of it if you don't want to. You can drop it off at a fire station, a church, a hospital, whatever you want to. You don't have to care for that child if you don't want to. And my argument would just be, that is a form of caring for that child. I'm not saying you have to raise it for the next 18 years, but providing any resources to that child is you caring for that child and ensuring its safety. So if you're saying that they must at the very least make a phone call or at the very least take it to a fire station or a hospital or a church or somewhere where they can transfer that child safely to somebody else who wants to raise it, then you are admitting that they do have some obligation to this child, whether they want to or not. And the whole argument of bodily autonomy being absolute goes out the window.
2: Yep. And they, they've they also just agreed to parental obligation. And then it's really easy to kind of push them uh back to probably, you know, conception logically, even if they don't want to <laughs> admit it right when you're talking to them. um, They would have to be pushed back to the moment that that child exists. And we would just have to talk about the different levels of of care, really, because um, I think that's the other thing is they're like, well, like using the phone or dropping off at a fire station isn't like using your resources. Like it's not using your kidneys and blood and you're not breathing for it. And they use all this stuff. Um, And I think it's, it's pretty easy to just ask them what the differences are, find their thresholds for things. And and most times they'll either contradict themselves or, um, or they just don't make sense. Like these thresholds they have just make no sense.
1: So if we get to the point where we're talking about the cryptic pregnancy and the person concedes that yeah bodily autonomy is absolute you don't have to provide anything to that child if you want to you can allow it to lay there on the kitchen floor and die while you go back to doing whatever you want if that's the hill that they want to die on then I would let them die on that hill and just make it real clear to everyone listening that that's what they are conceding to and then just kind of end the conversation there and move on to the next person Um, because If they're going to concede to that, then there's not really anywhere you can go from there.
2: Yeah, I would say that about a lot of the analogies that you might hear um, pro-lifers use. Um, We use these analogies to try and make sure that this person is going to be logically consistent. And I will say nine times out of 10, they don't remain consistent. Um, But yeah, that rare case that they do, I would say you're just better off moving on because like if they if they're just going to concede that you can kill your born children too then like what what can you even say at that point like you can't you can't go anywhere with them um they're probably just doing it to be edgy i've had people do this all the time where they come up and they try to be inflammatory and reactionary and they're just like i eat fetuses i love to kill all of all of the children in the whole world like they're they're just being dumb they don't probably actually believe that so i would say yeah it's probably best to move on from those
1: Right. Well, and even if they did, our intuitions are going to be so different, so far off that there's not really anywhere that we can go with that conversation. And the majority of people are going to disagree with them as well. They're going to say, okay, well, maybe I'm not pro-life. Maybe I still believe in bodily autonomy to an extent, but I don't agree that you can allow your born child to just die on the floor while you go back to watching TV. Like, I think you have to do something for that child. Maybe I don't know why I don't have an argument for it or against it, But, you know, it just seems wrong to that person to say that you can just walk away from them and let it die. Um, So most people are going to disagree with that if that person is adamant that that should be allowed. Just kind of make sure that that's clear to everyone who's either on the panel, in the comments, listening, whoever the audience is. Make sure that's clear and then just kind of move on. Now, when we're talking about a lot of other analogies, I think depending on what they answer, I wouldn't necessarily just end the conversation with them because some of them might not seem as um ridiculous to most people but it's just like ev said trying to to test their logic see if they're consistent and further the conversation to understand where they're coming from um so if we take maybe some of these other analogies that we typically hear like the cabin in the woods for example um do you want to kind of just real briefly describe the cabin in the woods what that analogy is
2: yeah normally when we use the cabin in the woods analogy it's going to go that um, a woman normally it's a woman with a cryptic pregnancy but doesn't have to be um, goes into a cabin in the woods in a mountain right far away from society Um, whether she knew she was pregnant or not she ends up giving birth in the house or in the cabin Um, she has enough resources to sustain her life and the baby's life she is able to care for this baby make that very clear. That there's nothing wrong with her. She can care for this baby. Um, she simply doesn't really want to, um, and it's going to take, for whatever reason, it's going to take on like two days. Just give a random time frame for emergency services to get there because she's in a freaking cabin in the woods in the mountains. Um, so it's going to take a bit for emergency services to get to her. So you just ask them if if this woman should be required to either breastfeed or um, she has formula. You could even use that. Um, do whatever she can to keep this child alive while. Uh, She's waiting for emergency services if she chooses to terminate the uh, parental rights at that point. Um, And that's just, again, to test if they're going to stay consistent with their stance that women have the right to exclude everyone from their body at all times, even if that person will
1: die. Right. And to withhold their resources, saying that they're not obligated to provide resources to someone if they don't want to. Um, And when we talk about the cabin in the woods, so that's probably the one that's like most often used that version of this analogy is probably what's most often used. It's been used for a long time, but when we talk about it, I find a lot of people don't like that particular hypothetical because they see that as something that's, um, I don't want to say absurd, but like not typically going to happen. I think right. it's going to be dependent on, um that person's life experiences if they can picture, you know, a cabin in the woods where this might happen. But we can talk about other things where, you know, real life scenarios that nobody can really deny that this situation would actually come about. You know, we can talk about natural disasters whether it's, you know, Hurricane Katrina for example, or the wildfires in Hawaii as another example. You know, there are times when we have natural disasters and emergency services are tied up they're not going to be available for you to just go drop your baby off because you don't want it. Um, And and even if you're able to get through to them, they're going to say, okay, yeah, we'll get there when we can, but it's not going to be for a while. And the question becomes, Mm -hmm. well, should that person be required to care for that child until emergency services is able to get there and take on that responsibility? And I think most people are going to say, yes, they should be required to, Which then just goes against their argument of bodily autonomy being absolute. Them not having to provide resources if they don't want to. It just kind of contradicts their argument.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think that's definitely a good way. If because some people have a really hard time understanding the point of hypotheticals. Um, So if if someone is just really not understanding it, and you've tried the cabin in the woods analogy, maybe you've tried the boat analogy. Um, I think it is a good thing, Andy, um, like you said, to bring up these natural disasters. I think that will be a good way to get their brains to be able to wrap around like the point of your question. Because you're not saying like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time every day that women go into snowy cabins in the woods and give birth. Like, yeah, we understand that. Um, and we might know what the hypothetical is intended for, but they might think that we're trying to um, antagonize them or be unrealistic for some ulterior motive, some bad purpose. Um, So it's good to do things that will help them like you want to meet them where they're at, you know, like help them understand the point that you're trying to make to them. And I've actually never thought about that, the natural disaster thing, but that is a, a really good idea. Andy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, they might look at this as like you said, we know the principle that we're trying to test, but they won't necessarily look at that. And they'll just look at the scenario that's being presented. And they might say, that's a ridiculous scenario that would never happen. So, okay, we will give you a scenario that not only could happen, has happened, you know it has happened, you can't really argue against it, and then tell me what your answer is in that scenario. Right. Were there any other analogies that you find are particularly helpful when um, critiquing the bodily autonomy argument?
2: i um, trying to think. I feel like... I feel like there was one, but I can't think of it right now. So I, my favorite one is the boat one. Honestly, I love using that one, but um, no, I think, I think the boat cabin in the woods, like you said, natural disaster. I think those are, those are really good ones that'll, that'll get the conversation going at the very least.
1: Yeah. And especially again, how, depending on how they're arguing bodily autonomy, the cryptic pregnancy is something that is super useful. Yeah. To critique a lot of this position. Now, Another argument that I think has become a little more popular more recently is this idea of trying to separate bodily integrity from bodily autonomy. Let's talk about bodily integrity a little bit uh, and, you know, discuss why this, why the pro-choicer argues that this is different from bodily autonomy. And then let's kind of show why it's really not. So, Let's get into this. Just kind of explain what bodily integrity is.
2: You're going to have to do that, Andy. I still don't know. (laughs) I
1: don't know what they mean when they say that. So when I speak to pro-choicers, they're going to argue that bodily integrity is just the right to exclude someone from inside your body. And it really just refers in their mind to the inside of your body versus anything outside of your body or the actions that you perform with your body. As if it's somehow different.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. I think the reason I have a hard time even understanding what bodily integrity is is because to me, I see no real principle difference between the two things. Um, I think if you're arguing that you can exclude people from inside your body, I think that the only way that you've that you've come up with that stance is is because you want abortion to be legal. You want to find a justification for abortion. So you're like, okay, I'm just going to separate because I've already seen pro-lifers debunk bodily autonomy. So I'm just going to separate the actions you perform outside of the womb with using the inside of your body. Because the only time that someone is ever using the inside of your body to sustain their life is during pregnancy. So there, there you go. Like I feel like it's it's all ad hoc. And I've said this before about other stances too. I think that they just start with their conclusion and they work backwards with that one. Because right. don't see, I don't see the principal difference.
1: Right, yeah, like you said, the, the whole point is to be able to figure out a way to make abortion okay while acknowledging that we have obligations to our children after they're born. So I can't argue bodily autonomy because I understand it's not absolute. I understand I'm going to have to do things for this child once it's born, whether I want to or not. So how can I make an argument that allows me to get an abortion just because I want to uh, while still acknowledging that? And that's, I think, what this attempts to do. Yeah. But it doesn't really hold true because even by performing these external actions, you can't do that without using your internal resources. You are using every part of the inside of your body to perform these external actions. So there really is no distinction between bodily integrity and bodily autonomy. And even if there were, their arguments don't hold up anyway because they're going to say, well, they have the right to remove this entity, this person, because a lot of times, you know, typically they will acknowledge it's a person. They'll just say it doesn't have the right to be inside their body. They'll say that they have the right to remove the person from their body. They don't have the right to kill it though. And that kind of gets them in a little bit of hot water because in order for me to not kill it, but remove it from my body may require me to, endure this supposed rights violation for some amount of time longer than if I was allowed to just kill it to get it out
2: yeah like um and and definitely you can you bring up different hypotheticals with this for sure um one that I like to use and that I think we've talked about before Andy too you've probably used it is just the the hypothetical of you know if there's an abortion clinic, like let's say you're, you know, past viability or like 26, 28, 30 weeks, whatever, that you're past this point in pregnancy, there's an abortion clinic that will perform a lethal abortion and it's like like right next door to you. Like it would be so easy for you to walk there, say that you'll even get it like comped by the government so you don't even have to pay for it, right? And then um, there's a, a, like a hospital that will do like a preterm birth that will do like an early delivery where they will keep the child alive. Um, with their NICU and everything, but that would require like, don't you know, like a $20 Uber and it would be like 30 minutes away or something. And it would take a lot longer and there might be a longer recovery process for the woman. So it would just be, um, you know, basically worse than the woman. It would take longer and she would technically have to, uh, endure this. I hate calling pregnancy a rights violation, but th- from their view, it is. So she'd have to endure this rights violation for longer, um, so I would just ask them, you know, do 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 you think that she has the right to go to the abortion clinic and get the lethal abortion because it would be a lot easier for her, or should she have to endure this rights violation in order to bring the child out of her safely? Um, and a lot of times they'll have to concede that you would be able to go to the abortion clinic at 26 weeks to get a lethal abortion, and then at that point. Like, well, then what, what is even the point of your stance? Like, It doesn't make any sense anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like starting far away and then kind of working the timeline closer and closer together to show how absurd the argument is. So like you said, you know, what if I live next to an abortion clinic and they'll take me right now and I'll get a lethal abortion right now. I'm after, you know, it's 36 weeks, 30, 30 weeks, 36, 32, whatever it's after the point of viability. They'll take me right now, but they only perform lethal abortions. I could go to the hospital and have the child delivered alive and safely, but they don't have any appointments available for a week. Uh, And it's an hour away and it's going to cost me a thousand dollars. Do I have to go Do I have to endure this rights violation. And we can kind of, I kind of take these things one at a time. You know, so I'll first initially start with the time frame. You know, so do I have to endure this rights violation for a week in order to have this child delivered alive versus just having the rights violation ended right now and have it come out dead? And when you start off with a, a big time frame, they'll say, No, you can probably just get the lethal abortion now. You shouldn't have to endure the rights violation. And then you just say, you, you work that time frame back further and further to, OK, well, what if it's a day? What if it's an hour? What if the hospital can take me now, but I have to walk across the street, and it's a shorter walk to the abortion clinic? Like am I going to have to endure this rights violation for any amount of time in order to deliver the child alive? And if so, how are you determining what the cutoff is? Why would I have to endure the rights violation for an hour? versus a week, you know, and not a week, or why would I have to endure it for a day and not a month? And there's not really any reason that they can give.
2: Yeah, at least I I haven't heard one besides um, basically like special pleading or people just saying, oh, it depends on, you know, the particulars of this case, and uh, that just doesn't make sense anyways. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah and then we can bring up the other arguments as far as okay, well, what if the abortion is free and the live birth is going to cost twenty thousand dollars? They can both be performed at the exact same time, but one's free, one's twenty grand, one's free, one's a hundred bucks, one's free, one's a $1. dollar like you know, are you gonna say that I'm required to give up my resources, my money to any extent in order to have this live birth versus you know the lethal yeah, abortion I think
2: I've heard. I think I've heard some people argue that um, they would say that after viability, you have to deliver it um, non-lethally unless it is like harder on the woman to do so. And I don't know if I've heard like a super good clarification of what they mean by harder on the woman, um, because I think really in in most cases, it would be quote unquote harder on the woman to have a live birth at 24 weeks than just to go to an abortion clinic. But I think even there, like, do you think, Andy, that there's a way that we could even bring this outside of the womb? I mean, I'm just kind of spitballing right here. I don't know. I don't have anything planned for this. But like, like, if they really think that like taking care of your child is like this rights violation, um, and this would be, I guess, for more bodily autonomy, but like, like, what if it's like your born child and you have to like, it's, it would be easier and quicker, like to go to the. Kill your kids, store down the road, like to get that taken care of, that it would well, be to like go through the adoption process. Yeah, like
1: some of, some of the, the hypotheticals that we can pose, you know, can get what I would argue completely absurd in that we <laughs> all would acknowledge that this is ridiculous and should not be allowed. However, it would fit within their framework. So if you're saying that I can end this person's life simply because they are inside of my body, to any extent inside of my body, Uh, I can end their life if it's faster for me to do that versus removing them from my body alive because I shouldn't have to endure this rights violation, you know, for any amount of time, then, uh, yeah, if my kid gives me a wet willy and my hands are full, I've got, you know, my (laughs) Glock in one hand and, I don't know, a beer in the other, uh, then... They would have to argue that I should be able to shoot the kid in the head in order to get his finger out of my ear rather than take the extra five seconds to set my gun down, I guess, or my beer uh, and pull his (laughs) finger out. And that's just completely absurd. Nobody's going to agree that I should be allowed to do that, but it would fit within that framework.
2: Yeah, and I think like when you hear something like this analogy, it's it's hard for people to like understand the point of it. But again, we're not. We're not saying that shooting your kid in the head because you don't want to put your beer down is the same as getting an abortion. Obviously not. We're just saying that like the, the principles would be the same. Like This child is inside of your body when you don't want them to, and it is easier, more convenient, and quicker for you to end this rights violation that this child is doing to you by shooting it in the head than it is to... Put the gun down, or put the beer down, and and just pull the kid's um, finger out of your ear. So it, it sounds absurd, and it is absurd. But just remember, we're comparing the principles here. We're not comparing the direct actions themselves.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the point of the hypothetical is to show how absurd the position is. Like we yeah. understand that that this argument is completely ridiculous, and no one is going to say that this should be okay but it's something that should fit within their framework.
2: Yeah, and then I think um I think it can help people maybe understand too why we think that using these arguments for abortion is so absurd because we do view like fetuses as morally the same as, you know, kids, toddlers, adults, teenagers, all these things. So it can kind of also help to illustrate how absurd we think it is that people um would say that you can kill your viable child simply because you don't want to walk two extra feet to the you know hospital to have a live delivery or simply because you don't want to drive to have a live delivery you know like that sounds so absurd to us, so bringing it outside of the womb and making this crazy absurd hypothetical uh maybe helps pro choicers understand um why it sounds
1: so absurd to us right right, and when we kind of walk the timeline back, you know it's kind of to show well what's the difference in me having to wait five minutes versus waiting an hour? What's the difference in me waiting an hour versus a week? You know, if they, they can't really come up with a principal reason for making someone wait five minutes and not make, make them wait an hour. Um, right. Because there really isn't one.
2: Right. And then if they have to wait an hour, why not a week? And if I have to wait a week, why not five? And then, how about a month? And then how about, and all of a sudden you're at nine months.
1: Oh no. <laughs> right. And you could say that there's a difference between someone having to wait five minutes to do something and having to wait nine months to do something. Um, but what's the principal difference other than the amount of time and where are you going to draw the line and why? Yeah, there's not really any good, reason a why. Or good answer for this. So I think all of those things together just kind of show why the bodily autonomy argument has a lot of flaws, is not a great argument uh, for abortion, and just shouldn't be used.
2: Yeah, I mean, all arguments for abortion are bad, but, you know, this one is probably the one that's used the most often. And it's the one that I feel like people think the very least about. I'd say when you encounter other arguments yes. like personhood, I would say that they they tend to be given by people who at least think about their arguments a lot more. Um, with bodily autonomy, I think any random Joe on the street is going to use that and they're not going to understand why they're using it. It's just a word that's thrown around so much that it has basically no meaning anymore.
1: I agree. Cause it, it kind of goes along with the whole, my body, my choice mantra that people chant, but then have no idea what it means um, or or what the argument actually entails. So they say, my body, my choice. You know, I have bodily autonomy. I can do what I want with my body. But then you ask them any of these questions, and they don't have good answers because they've never (laughs) thought about it before. And when they do start thinking about it, they realize that the argument doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
2: Zero sense. And uh, a lot of times that's when, you know, you ask them like one or two questions about bodily autonomy in general, and half the time they either start getting really angry and insulting you, or they just switch to a completely separate stance and start talking about like foster care. Like they just completely crumble because they have zero clue what they're talking
1: about. Right. They're going to start bringing up the different fallacies, trying to shift the goalposts to something else or turn the argument back around on you. Uh, Like you said, start in with the personal attacks, which is never really uh, an attack on you. It's really just showing that they don't have an argument.
2: True. Very true. I normally laugh when people start attacking me because it proves I'm winning.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Ev, for coming back on and going through all of that with us and helping us break down the bodily autonomy stance. If any of you have any questions you'd like us to answer about bodily autonomy, please visit podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash advocacy network and send us a voice message. Another link to that is going to be also on joshcodesirl.com if you want to hit that. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us a follow. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.